This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this morning I'm talking to Craig LaHulier, author of a new book, Growing Vegetables in Straw Bales, and also my favorite book of last year, Epic Tomatoes. And I just, Craig, you've been with us before, and I just had to have you back. So welcome back, Craig. Oh, Happy New Year, and thank you so much, Daryl. Speaking to you last year was um, one of the highlights of my year, and I always enjoy our conversation. So thank you very much. That's, that's sweet of you. Well, I enjoy talking to you, too. And, I, you know, one of the things I like about doing this show is I get to know people, and we get to connect on a whole different thing that's different than, like, email or, or something like that. So, Craig, how did you decide that you wanted to do um, growing in straw bales? Great question. And uh, story publishing actually played a huge part in that. Um, Epic Tomatoes was was my first book and my first effort with them, and they um, it, what it seems to me is that publishers have uh, niches that they like to fill. Um, there was a good book on straw bales that um, Joel Karsten wrote, and his was kind of the first major book out there. I think as a publisher, Story wanted to have a book in their portfolio that covered the topic, um, perhaps using a different point of view. And so they said, hey, Craig, how would you like to write a book on straw bale gardening? And I said, well, that sounds great. But in order to do that, that means I have to embark on the adventure myself. So I set, up, um, I set out to become certainly not an expert because you can't get an ex- to be an expert in one season, but uh, take up the practice, give it a good try. That first year, I started with 15 bales, and last year, I I liked the process so much that last year, I think I had 40 or 45 of them. So clearly, it has earned a um, permanent place in my my gardening palette. And and as you know, Daryl, gardeners are kind of like artists or painters, where we have lots of different paints on our easel or that we can choose from. Many of our gardens, I suspect, are combinations of, of different types of cultural practices, uh, maybe necessitated by our sun exposure or our property, or maybe just because we like to switch things up and, and have an interesting garden to show people when they walk through. Sure, or just to try something new because you've heard about it from another gardener and you just want to make want to try it yourself and see how it sure. goes. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I take up the challenge, and maybe you do too, if somebody has not been successful with straw bale gardening, say, or, you know, gardening in containers, I will go and do it just to show that it can be done, just to prove it to myself. And that's, a really, that's a really good point, Daryl, because what, we, what we've found, those of us who garden, is that we each do probably most different steps slightly differently that are often hard to translate into a conversation with someone or a written word. And, and so we each do this differently. And it could be that people who, have, who are, have not had success with any of these techniques, there's a key step that they're just not doing quite the same way or their climate is not quite admirable to, to the technique. And I love what you just said about uh, throwing down the gauntlet. You know, this doesn't work for you well. 
I'm going to see if I can make that work. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes it fun. You know, I, and I know what you mean about their, about their climate, because I have a friend who lives in the desert of eastern Washington, where a humid day for her is 10%. <laughs> and, and she's tried straw bales, and she said, "Honey, I got some straw bales that have been sitting out there for five years, and they haven't decomposed yet." <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, all that really dry air blowing through the straw bales is just impossible for her. Um, sure. And she even has a struggle during the real heat of the summer, keeping her vegetable garden in the ground. Yeah, watered yeah. and growing well because sometimes just because of the amount of wind that she gets, you know, the hot, dry wind off the desert. So well, you, ra- you raise a really important point, and it, I'm reminded of a discussion that I had yesterday, something that someone posted on the Tomatoville website, and they asked, how tall do, does one of our new dwarf tomatoes get? And someone came in and said, oh, they get X feet tall. And so I came in right behind and said, you're taking gardening, which is kind of an art and, and varies very much, and trying to put an absolute on it. But you, the dwarf tomatoes will grow X number of feet depending on do you start from seed, do you start from transplant, how old is the transplant, are you feeding it, where is it planted, what's the sun? And I just use that as an example. We can certainly take that to straw bales, but any technique that we do, have an infinite number of dependencies on it. And to me, one of the beauties of gardening is a hobby, is that we each have something to learn and share with others because it's different for every one of us, perhaps in the same climate but just a different yard or different trees around our garden or different critters crawling through our property. Um, I don't like absolutes in gardening. I, I like guidelines and approximates, and then we go in and we develop the absolutes that work for us. That is a really good point because microclimates alone make such a difference. Yes. And yeah, I, I grow now. I'm growing in my driveway garden, and the conditions there are completely different than they were 50 feet behind in my regular garden. The regular sure. garden, of course, now is too shady, but um, it was protected more from the wind, but it got uh, the southerly breezes. Whereas my driveway garden is protected in a different angle. And so in the summertime when the sun is on it, uh, it it will really heat up. I've measured soil temperatures of 100 degrees in my containers. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so everything that I learned gardening in my backyard is different in the front yard. And I Mm -hmm. think that new gardeners maybe find that daunting because maybe something doesn't quite work for them. And I always encourage my new gardening friends to keep a list, a little notebook that's got the temperature in it and what you did, because the temperature and the rainfall and whether you fertilized and what you use makes such a big difference in how the plants are going to grow for them. And we could actually probably do a whole uh, show just on garden planning and the things you do, because what you're talking about brings to mind the fact that gardening is actually a 12-month pursuit, because when you're not actively out there watering or, or digging or harvesting, you're thinking back on what worked well and what didn't work well, and then you're thinking ahead and planning what to do next year. You know, I think it was Einstein that said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing every year and expecting different results. So 
I, I try to also tell, you know, people who grow our tomato plants and such, if things didn't work for you last year, think about the weather, thinking about why things didn't work, try a different variety, try a different location, try a different planting time. We get to play in a hobby where we get to do it all again every year, and that is such a great cause for optimism, and I find it tempers the occasional depression that you may end up with at the end of the season when your yield isn't what it should be or your favorite tomato died from disease. Um, we always get a chance to do it again, don't we? Yes, we do, and that, that's what makes it fun. But I can understand that for a beginning gardener that doesn't know that some things are going to change, um, it can be really difficult. Sure. I was lucky. I grew up in a gardening family. My mother gardened, my grandfather gardened, my grandmother gardened. Um, so I learned at an early age that you know, there's always next year. Yes, yes. <laughs> And that's there what it makes it fun. And you mentioned garden planning. And one of the thing, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this early in the year with the strawberry bale gardens is because this may be a new concept to some people that they've never tried it before. And maybe they want to get their feet wet, but you can't just decide on, you know, whatever your planting day is that I'm going to go and get a bale and plant in it. Sure. They're not going to Absolutely. be very successful that way. Ask right. me how right. I know. <laughs> you know, when I first when I first did straw bale gardening, I you know I just had a leftover bale of straw and I yeah. and I decided I was going to see if I could grow something in it because heck, it grows you know wheat really well when you yeah. when it yeah. gets wet, and and I was not very successful towards the end right. of the season. I you know it worked, but early on now, yeah. and if I had you know if I had bet the whole farm on that and never had seen anything about straw bale gardening, which there wasn't anything out there back then, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known what to expect. And now I'm so happy that people can get your book and, and look at the pictures and look at your charts and stuff. You've got a lot of information in here and you even have information on, um, uh, individual vegetables, and I found yes. it found it really interesting that you were growing peas in your um, straw bales this year. Yeah, um, that and what I found was I needed I need to for great success I need to start them earlier, which goes right back to what you said about planning. So I think yeah, it will be good to talk through what some of the uh, date constraints are and other factors to set yourself up for success. Um, I think, especially as you say, for new gardeners or people taking on a new aspect of gardening, be it containers or straw bales or whatever, um, the more you know going in, the more you can avoid maybe some of the easier-to-skip disappointments, and it will make you more likely to not only succeed, but then take that on as one of your regular techniques going forward. But but, uh, you said exactly right. You you can't say, geez, I'm going to try straw bale gardening and then tomorrow get ready to go. And I think uh, we're probably coming up to where we need to take a break and maybe we can get into some of those challenges and critical planning steps uh, moving forward to help this succeed for everyone. Yeah, we've got just a couple of minutes before the break, but one of the things that I urge people to do when you talk about planting and planting early or planting on time, is their local cooperative extension service almost assuredly has planting dates for your area. 
And I will put a link up to the Extension Service, you know, the main website where you can find all the information for all the states. I'll put it up on our Facebook page because a lot of people don't know that that resource exists. And in many counties, you have a county agent that's knowledgeable and master gardeners that are knowledgeable, and they very often do little classes in in the beginning of in the winter time so this is a good time for people to start looking and start getting the information from their own area and that is, that is an excellent yeah that is an excellent idea and one of the things that i think we're all finding is that we need to look at the most up-to-date information uh we've lived in our house in raleigh now for 23 years and i can confirm that the timings and the way we gardened and the way our gardens performed 23 years ago are different than the last three, four, or five years. So uh, in order to hit those frost dates properly, in order to nail down what the likeliest, hottest part of the season is, because that's important to know about certain crops, uh, the extension agent, other experienced gardeners, um, there's no dumb question for a gardener to ask an expert or another gardener because uh, things change all the time and uh, we all want to succeed. We all want to pick those wonderful tomatoes in uh, July or August and have the juice dripping down our chin, don't we? Oh, yes. And while you're standing out in the garden, yes. and just have, just, <laughs> when the tomato is warm from the sun, there is not to me any better pleasure in a garden than that. Well, we have to take a quick break here, but you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and when we come back, we will talk right about how to go um, straw bale gardening step by step. We'll be right back after this. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week I'm talking to Craig LaHouillier, who is the author of a brand new book um, called Growing Vegetables in Straw Bales. And what, this morning what we're going to do now is we're going to go step by step through how you prepare the bales or how, where do you even find them. So let's get going with that, Craig. Let's start with where do people find straw bales? Sure. Um, well, straw bales may or may not be easy to locate, and so that's one of the real critical aspects of planning up front. And ju- just to set a little bit of context for this, because I think it would be interesting to, to let people know what is this principle of growing in a straw bale. Um, it typically would have been a Halloween prop or material that gets delivered for people to then unbundle and spread about germinating seed crops. And it it may be quite surprising for some of the listeners to understand that a straw bale can be considered a a really excellent analogy to container gardening, and I'll go into some of the reasons. Um, But first, the types of straw, wheat straw seems to be amongst uh, the best of the choices, and what you're doing is providing structure. So in a way, I think of a straw bale as a combination of raised bed because it is above the ground. One of the advantages being if you've got the sun shining someplace in your yard and you don't have the back or the knees or the um, 
wherewithal to go out and dig up the sod and put yourself a garden, you can just park some straw bales in that spot, and which reminds me to make sure that where, where you garden, where you put your straw bales down, six to eight hours of sun is absolutely optimal, depending on the crop that you're growing. But if you want to limit it to things like greens or cooler weather crops, you can get away with a little less. But we, maybe we can touch upon um, sun exposure when we talk about specific crops later on. Um, so what happens in a straw bale is there's very, very little available nutrients, but there are microbes in the bale. And so once you start charging them up with a food source, uh, initially high nitrogen, and we'll talk about that in a moment, you're starting to the process of chewing up the inside of those bales, essentially creating uh, lovely compost in the center for the roots of the plants to, to go into over the course of the growing season. So I've found best success finding bales here in Raleigh at the big box stores, and not all of them carry them. So one key aspect of planning is you need to think back several weeks from when you want to plant because it does take two weeks at least to get the bales in the condition where you can plant them, plant, plant into them, be it either seeds or um, seedlings. You want to get the inside starting to compost, and you need, you need, to, th you need to plan back a couple of weeks. Now, the air temperature is going to impact the speed of the breakdown. Now, one of the things last year I found I did incorrectly was I wanted to get going in the spring, but I didn't think of the need to get things like lettuce and peas and radishes in very, very early. I bought all of my bales, let's say, mid-April. This year I am actually going to look for buying some bales within the next few weeks to get them starting to uh, break down on the inside, do all of the treatment that we'll talk about in a second, so I can get some of my early spring crops, like beets, like lettuce, and some of the Asian greens planted. So, it may take people a while to find the bales initially because yes. we also want to make sure that when we're getting when we're getting bales, well, as you said, wheat straw is ideal. I've used oat straw too, yes. um, and alfalfa hay bales, alfalfa, which yep, you know yep. may be available in their part of the country. But yes. the big, biggest thing that I worry about whenever I bring any anything into my property is that persistent herbicides might have been used on it. Yes, yes, uh, excellent, and and so. In this, well, this is a concern for all gardeners who are concerned about herbicides, and I think it's probably a particular concern of organic gardeners. And, and there is a way if a gardener who wants to grow strictly organically can assure the nature of the bale, there are treatments that can be used to charge up that bale that are organic as well. But I think you're absolutely right. One of the advantages of the bale is they're going to, more than likely be sterile in terms of no, none of the diseases that get after tomatoes and other crops that may be sitting in your soil or on the walls of your containers. So that's an advantage. But as you say, one of the risks, you want to really have a good, um, honest relationship with your bale source so that they will tell you um, undoubtedly that there is no herbicide used in that bale or else all of your efforts will go for naught and uh, you'll get your plants in there and then uh, they will fail to thrive because the root zones are starting to get into a, um, 
a uh, bad bad zone for them to survive. Um, so I think and sometimes it means you know calling around to a lot of different places, and yes, even maybe yes. asking your local garden center to please find this for you. Or yes. if your state and most states do, if they have an organic gardening association. Um, mm-hmm. Ask them, because very often one of the members of the association will have organically grown wheat straw that you can yep. buy from them. And yep. so you're helping them out as well as, you know, as, well as helping yourself out. So there, in, a, in addition to that, there, the availability, there is a cost aspect. And we're, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in my mind because we can get um, herbicide-free wheat straw bales in the Raleigh area for 5 to $6 a bale. Now, that may sound like um, a significant cost until you consider that a bale is essentially the equivalent of two very large containers, 20-gallon plus. So when you think about the amount of planting mix needed to fill two 20-gallon containers and then, equ- and then think about the work of getting that potting mix and then filling the containers and then lugging the containers around and equate that with that straw bale, um, it, it may work out very well in favor of the bale. Now, I have some friends in some areas of the country where straw bales are in great demand in the building industry and supply and demand has driven the price up over $10 a bale with wow. very, uh, yes, with very uh, unsure uh, supply. So I think this is one of those techniques that people have to really do a little bit of homework up front to see the viability of them taking it on based just on the availability. And you, you, you want to avoid the grass hay type bales because they'll break down too quickly if, at all, uh, if you can. And you certainly want to avoid pine straw bales because not only of the acidity of the pine straw, but the fact that really they just repel, not absorb water and don't break down or absorb nutrients. So there are some materials that people get in bales that, well, you know, I can get pine store really inexpensively, but that just simply won't work for, uh, for bale gardening. Yeah, it, it won't work. Uh, let, me, let me add to this conversation about pine straw. If you, have, if you buy bales in the fall, and let them sit around, or even the, the whole summer before, and let them sit, sit around with the open end, the, the straw end up. Mm-hmm. They will start to break down, but it takes, you know, it takes 10 or 11 months. Right. And after right. 10 or 11 months, then the center of that you know, is starting to decompose and you can proceed. But, you know, that's a tough thing to do. Most people don't have room to let the pine straw sit around all that long. Yeah, but it's just, a tough that's thing just to do. for people that, that live here in yeah. the south, and that's the only thing that you can get sometimes. That's not, you know, fescue hay. Or, you know, that's going to be wheat, weedy or have herbicides in it. Uh, sure. Or, or maybe for your people in con- high construction areas. Right, and I w- I'd like to think if if you're going to buy that pine straw and let it sit for a long time, you may want to think carefully about the crops you put in because the pH of that environment will be a little more acidic. So. If you wanted to plant something like tomatoes in it, you may have a little bit of an issue with blossom end rot. And, again, it's the kind of thing where if you were to go into this, you know, get lots of wheat straw bales and maybe maybe get, if if pine straw bales are really that much easier to get and uh, very, very available, you may want to buy one and just let it sit there, like you say, and break down. 
and it may be good. It may be really good for something like a lettuce or or, or some of the other crops. The integrity after that time, because the the pine straw that I mean the sorry the wheat straw bales actually do hold their shape quite well into the season. Um, again, that would probably maybe impact what you would grow and how you would grow it uh, with a with a well broken down year old pine straw. What the integrity of that might be like. But I think as your as your, as your listeners I, yeah. I think you're right about that. On the other hand, um, when you when you compare the price in our area, you can get bales of pine straw delivered for a buck and a quarter, and they're wow. big bales. Oh, that's and incredible. if you they're more if you go to the big box store, but there's always yeah. people in you know on the corners of farms and stuff here that that sell pine straw really cheap, and and compare that to five dollars a bale for wheat straw. Oh sure. So that's that's a big big difference for people. So I don't want people to think that they just can't do it in pine straw at all. But yeah. like you say, you have to think about the crop that you're going to grow. Now I really yeah. haven't had much trouble once it's broken down pretty well. Once the center of it's broken down, but that breakdown period because it has a waxy coating on each needle. Right. That breakdown right. period is really long. Yeah. And, and like many gardening things, I would say just in general, if you're going to try straw bale gardening, start small. And then if you're going to vary your types of bales, start smaller still. So you may want to do a um, three, three to four uh, wheat straw to one pine straw and just sit that one. And that may, that actually, after if you, if you have a lot of heat in a good um, summer where things are starting to break down a little bit, that may be a perfect thing in the fall to put some garlic bulbs in and then let them winter over. So I think what the listeners to this show are going to find out is that this is a technique that is somewhat in its infancy, relatively speaking, and those of us who are doing this are learning more and more all the time. And the final book, well, the final book on any gardening technique hasn't been written, but clearly we're all going to be learning a lot more about the constraints and the advantages and the challenges of uh, straw bale of uh, straw bale gardening as we go forward, which is a fun place to be in because that means it we're is. all learning and sharing. Yep, it is. And I don't know that growing in pine straw would work in a climate that doesn't get fifty inches of rain a year. Very good point. You no, know, because you can't. You don't want to be watering all winter long. But we had rain for two weeks straight, and then we've had well four or five days of, of good sun, and then it's supposed mm-hmm. to start raining again tomorrow. Wow. So, wow. Things but you bring it, you know, when we're thinking of the cost of the straw, I, you just jogged my memory on one other cost that people really need to think about. And this is similar to the cost of, of container gardening, is that it, there is a, a greater water and, uh, to a lesser cost extent, feeding, but certainly watering need of bale gardening, just like in container gardening. So anyone who is is paying a lot for the water or water is short in a particular region may want to take that into account. I One of the things I've not embarked in, but I think straw bale gardening is a perfect opportunity to use drip irrigation. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit more about why I think that's true. Some of the issues I had with direct seeding would have been alleviated last year if I would have had uh, drip uh, going across my bales. Okay, we'll talk about that when we come back right after this. 
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Craig LaHouillier, and we're talking today about growing vegetables in straw bales, which happens to be the title of his new book. And right before the, the break, we were talking about different kinds of straw that you might use. What else might people try? Um, certainly oat straw, alfalfa straw, um, and, and being a legume, um, one that would break down a little more easily and quickly would be the alfalfa. But I, w- I would say, you know, look for wheat straw first. Um, pine straw, certainly if you get a good price break on it and, and you want to use that later in the year after it has a long time to break down. But see what your other options are. And it's it's one of these things where if you try one of the other straws, you'll actually be going somewhere where I've not gone yet because I've limited myself initially to wheat. And that means you'll have something to share and something to learn as well. And, uh, but really, because the straw is providing the structure, and when that structure starts breaking down, it then really becomes about how often and what you feed it with and watering it sufficiently and providing enough support. Um, that's actually more important in terms of once you've got them going and, and planted, which we'll be talking about how to get them charged up. It's then about yeah, the treatment of the plants through the summer that, that's maybe the most important factor rather than the specific nature of, of the straw. And, and you mentioned the support. And what I found with the alfalfa bale when I tried it, a couple of bales I tried, um, it broke down very quickly and yep. became unstable pretty quickly, which wasn't a problem because then, you know, when it finally fell apart, sure. um, the plants were just happily growing in, in the stuff on the ground. But it didn't look very neat. And, of course, you know, you had the problem of bending over. So, you know, if people are trying that, I just want to give them a warning. Now, one of the things that I have noticed is that some people grow in straw bales with a, with a, um, strings up and some with them growing with them going horizontally on the side which do you think is better there are different schools of thought and there is actually a fellow that lives near me uh kent rogers who is very very uh big into straw bale growing and he is one who likes to have the um the strings up and if you read um Joel's book, he likes to have the strings on the side. And there are, there are different reasons for this, um, and probably based more on the first time people have tried them that way or had success with. The concern with the strings being, if you think about a straw bale, they're, they're quite tightly bound. And one of the issues I had the first time I tried it, I was taking them off my truck, and the strings weren't oriented quite right on it and slipped off. And once 
that string slips off your straw bale, you don't have a straw bale anymore. You have material to use for mulch and spread around yep. your garden. So um, the thought is that if your strings are up, particularly if you're not terribly careful in terms of digging into the top when you plant plants, you could accidentally sever and pop your bale. Um, I am actually, last year I grew with the strings on the side, and so the the axis of the straw, they were like straws standing upwards. They were, they were mm -hmm. perpendicular. It, it worked just fine, but after thinking about the surface area, I'm actually going to tip a few on the side this year, and when I do some direct seeding, I want a bit of a larger surface area and one that's a little less tippy because if you are putting them on the on the side where the strings are on the, on the side of the bale, you know, you're looking at it across the air and you can see the strings, they will be slightly more tippier, particularly if you're putting the bales on an uneven surface. And as they start breaking down, they may be more likely to tip over. I've actually in my garden put um, four-foot stakes behind the bales and pushed the bales up against those stakes to keep them upright. You would have less of a problem if you have them with the strings up. But as I say, you just got to be careful that you don't mistakenly cut into those strings. That's, that's kind of my view on it. Otherwise, as far as water absorption, fertilizer absorption, it's the same area for roots to go into. So uh, there could be an aesthetic nature to this in terms of uh, how you want it to look or how much you want to bend over or where you can fit them. Okay. So people can do it either way, and it's not going to necessarily make a big difference. Right. Yes. In most cases. Okay, that, yep. that sounds reasonable. And then what do they need to do once they get these bales home and they've put them where they want to grow? Right. Very important to put them where you want them to be because a dry straw bale is awkward but really doesn't weigh all that much. Um, what I do is I pile two or three of them into my wheelbarrow and just wheel them over to where I want them to go and position them. However, a wet straw bale becomes extremely heavy and mm -hmm. you want to think about that in terms of when where you have if, if you're going to if if you're pretty experienced in this and you want to expand and do lots of bales you may choose to have them delivered and you want to do that when there's not a huge rainstorm just about to hit because they'll dump those bales they'll absorb a lot of water and then when you go to move them into the garden you'll find boy these are a lot heavier than i thought they were going to be so get them positioned and if you are not strictly organic, um, in other words, you're, you know, you're okay with using a, just a, a regular, I don't want to call it a chemical fertilizer, but just a standard water-soluble, the blue stuff. Um, yeah. The, the best way I've found to charge it up and this is, is to use a very high nitrogen food, and often this is a lawn starter and you want to be really careful to read the bag if you go this route that it does not have a pre-emergent weed killer in it because, yes, you will charge up your bales, and in the meantime you will also induce an herbicide into it that will make the bales unplantable. So just I find the bags of, I think it's 2703 at the box store. It's just a granular. Mm -hmm. And on alternating days, you spread about a half a cup of this 2703 or an equivalent on the top of your bale, just uniformly covering it, and then you deeply water it in. And I use a hose with a sprayer on it where this it, it's coming out at a good clip, and I, I'm kind of with the spray pushing it into that straw, and it's not 
immediately water soluble and you will see the granulars of fertilizer in the top and that's okay. And what I find is I, I count it to about 30 and what I use as an indication is when you see water coming out the bottom of the bale, you've saturated that bale, but you've gotten some of that nutrient to leach into the center. The next day, and, and what I do is, uh, before I do this, I've purchased just uh, a relatively inexpensive digital thermometer that as this process is going, I like to just go out each morning and stick it into the center of a bale and take a temperature reading, and, uh, and I'll say why in a moment. You alternate that high nitrogen food with just a good soaking on alternating days. And if you want to go strictly organic, you can use something like a uh, dried blood, which is high nitrogen, but the relative ratio of nitrogen in dried blood is less than that of the 2703. So whereas you're using a half a cup or so of the high nitrogen in organic, you're using about three cups of the dried blood, and it just sits on the top and you water it in. works just as well. You do that for about a week or so, and each morning you take a temperature reading from the center of your bale, and depending on the air temperature, lo and behold, the middle of that bale is going to start cooking. And I find that within about a week or so, the center of those bales can get at about 120, 125 degrees, which is pretty amazing when you think sometimes the air temperature outside is still in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. You've clearly got the combination of the nitrogen working with that cellulose in the straw, working with the microbes that are in the bale, and you're starting to do the process of breaking down the middle of the bale, which is good. It's what you want to have happen. You back it off, and I've got the full schedule of this in the book. In a few days, you're just deeply watering. And at the very end, once your temperature has dropped back to where it's not going to hurt the roots, so 75, 80 degrees Fahrenheit is actually the roots of plants are going to just love that because often the air temperature mm-hmm. is quite a bit cooler. Then you use a general all-purpose like a 10-10-10 and put, uh, spread that around the top. And I'm looking at the quantity of here. Um, so, yeah, three cups of the blood meal, a half a cup or bale of the lawn starter, and um, then you finish it off with a cup of the 10-10-10 at uh, the very end, half a cup, sorry, a cup would be way too much. And then you water it in one more time, and that 10-10-10 isn't going to get the bale reheating and recooking in the center again to where the temperature is going to become dangerous, but it will complete the nutrient balance into that bale that will make for healthy growth. And then you're set. So I find that Typically, it will, you want to leave about two weeks from putting the bale on the ground, starting your treatment, until you're ready to go. So you think about the types of crops. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Greens like to grow when it's cool. Peas, radishes, beets, uh, tomatoes and eggplant and peppers and beans like to grow when it's warmer. So you're probably going to want to stagger the placement of your bales and make sure you get some going essentially very, very soon for those growing in our climate here because you want to get them ready within a few weeks to get some, some greens in there. And uh, really from that point on, you can start treating your bale like it's a container, meaning watering and feeding regularly because with container gardening, the frequent watering means nutrients are going to leach out the bottom, so you need to replace those with regular feeding. Um, but that, that's really all there is to it. So. You, don't, you didn't have to dig a garden. You didn't have to fill pots. 
you're not going to have to weed. You've got a sterile starting point that's not going to carry diseases from the previous season. You don't have to mulch. And I think, as you mentioned a little while ago, you can pull up a chair and pick your green beans because you've got some elevation of that bale off the ground, meaning you don't have to break your back picking your bush beans. So those are some of the really nice uh, advantages of bales that I've worked in there toward the end. Well, I like the, I really like the idea of straw bale gardening for people like me that can't bend very well, um, that and, and big containers. Uh, is there, are there any disadvantages to growing in straw bales? So here's, here's a few things that I've found. Uh, in, uh, this is aside from the ones that we spoke about initially with the fact that there's an upfront cost and there is a demand for watering. And just in general, like all things gardening, this isn't a just plant it and then go on vacation for a month. This is gardening, meaning the best gardens will benefit from the most frequent observations. And I like to walk through my garden every day and take observations and see how things are growing and then adjust. But some special challenges to me are the fact that you've got to watch your critters. And I was having a real issue last year with um, my beans because they would, I planted them directly, and we haven't talked about planting into the bales yet, but maybe we'll come to that in the last segment. The beans had all germinated. I direct seeded on top of bales that I had spread a nice two-inch layer of potting mix on the top, and the slugs crawled up on top of the bale and nipped off all of the little heads. And so what I would have is a bale of little twigs with no growing tip. Um, we are got to take a little break right yes. now, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some other critters that people might have in their garden. We'll be right back after this. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? and what is the best place to go for the care that is needed. We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week I'm talking to Craig LaHoulier, author of Growing Vegetables in Straw Bales, and we ought to mention a couple of things about critters. We just started on critters in that last segment. And so, Craig, you had slugs that got in, and this was a yep. bad year for slugs in our garden. They yeah, just multiplied. We had so much rain. It was rough, and so I used a lot of diatomaceous earth, and uh, I think once the slugs went away, uh, a rabbit, to uh, has been plaguing our garden for, for a couple of years now. And once the beans got big enough and 
kind of draped down the sides a little bit. The rabbits had a field day. I, I think the general comment I would make is that if people have critter issues in their garden, if they have a container garden and uh, things like squirrels and rabbits and slugs are, are bedeviling them, they will also bedevil your straw bales. Now, you have a little bit of an elevation off the ground that will limit certain animals' either ability to find what's growing up there, but it's still an issue. Now, two things that, two critters that I've noticed that people have had issues with in the past that I have not yet, is people mention, do bales offer a nice, warm environment for snakes to crawl up into? Um, now, in Raleigh, we have snakes. We have copperheads. We have black racers. Whether it's because we have cats around, whether it's because I'm out in the garden a lot, I have not had a problem with snakes or ants, but I would say they are two uh, things that, that could possibly you'd want to keep an eye out for. And, and I think we talked about using blood meal and the fact that that using organic fertilizers would itself draw particular types of animals and so, but organic gardeners who have been using those organic materials probably would know that anyway. So I think the warning is more for people who are embarking on bales for the first time and want to use organic techniques. Uh, Daryl, I think you had experience with what may happen if you have certain organic fertilizers. Oh, yeah. And so if you're, if you're using, I was, I, I got a sample of a great new, um, container garden for growing vegetables and it came with organic fertilizer that contained feather meal and it was slightly smelly it wasn't too awful but the feather meal and the rest of the contents of that fertilizer were enough to get to bring in the raccoons and the raccoons just ripped the heck out of it and when i was growing in the ground i found that they would also go after the blood meal and, and and make a big mess. The other thing that went after the blood meal was my dog. She <laughs> thought that that was just wonderful. <laughs> so if you've got a dog that likes to go into stuff like that, that may be a, a pest too. Most yeah. of the time the dogs are helpful, though, in keeping critters out. Okay, I think we've got most of the critters talked about. I've never seen a snake around the straw bales, but I think nope. that's because generally... Around the straw bales, it's nice and neat. It's not, yes. you know, you're not letting it grow up all weedy. It's probably like in your sure. lawn or at the edge of your driveway or yeah. something like yeah. that. So yeah. that may be a factor in it. I see snakes all over in the rest of my garden, but, right. um, but not in the straw bales. Yeah. Now, two things we're talking about, these aren't issues. These are, these are attributes. So people who grow straw bales will notice two things over the course of the season. They'll notice that grass seeds will germinate and uh you can let that it's you know it's just wheat grass it's actually not bad for the plants it's not really competing that much some people give their bales a haircut you know each uh, several times during the route um Mm -hmm. but they will sprout i find it kind of attractive but there may be some aesthetics with that the other thing that will happen and i don't know if this is all over the country but it certainly happened in raleigh last year is you, you get the most gorgeous unusual mushrooms that will start coming out and now if you're starting with seedlings this isn't a problem because you know you've in just to mention briefly there there are two ways to plant into a bale one is to get your 
pre-started vegetable seedlings, whatever height you would put them into a container or the garden, you use a tool such as a cultivator or a bulb auger because getting into that straw can be a little bit tough before the bale is really well broken down. Just create an, a, a niche or a notch or a space, ease the root ball into the bale, and then heal it in with some good quality um, planting medium, soilless mix, whatever you would typically use in your containers, and that's all there is to it. Uh, I use grass clippings then to mulch around where it's healed in just to conserve moisture. Or you uh, put a two-inch layer of a soilless mix or a growing mix on the top of the bale and water it in well and then direct seed into that. Now, that leads to, and the reason I mention this now is mushrooms popping up out of the bale doesn't cause issues when you've got plants planted, but it can when you've got seedlings planted because some of those mushrooms may want to pop out where you've got your seeds germinating for radishes or carrots or, or the like. So you may actually have to reseed a few of those areas if the emerging mushrooms have disturbed, you know, just a few of the seedlings in those particular areas. Um, the biggest issue I found with direct seeding is that you have you have seeds which are going to put out this tiny little root into this topsoil on the bale, which means the roots haven't gotten into the bale proper yet. So you're up in the air, you're, the sun is shining on it, you've got wind blowing. You may want to um, put some floating row cover or loosely covered with newspaper or really make sure you use a drip system on the bales that you direct seed so you avoid having some of those young, tender seedlings just wither and dry up, um, you know, within a week of their germination. That, that's maybe the part that I haven't worked out really well yet is having total success with direct seeded everything. Some have worked well, some I need to work on a little bit, Daryl. One of the things that a farmer told me when I moved down here and we were having a real dry summer and I, I could not get some seeds to grow, especially the, the smaller seeds, he said, put a board over it and then... Yes check it every day, and then once you see the seedlings come up, and that will give you a head start, and it will give the, the seedlings, of course, put their root, their radical down first yes. before they grow up. So that gives them a little bit of head start. But I like your right. idea of a floating row cover. And for a lot of crops, you can just leave the row cover on and, and yes. avoid some of the pests that you're going to have. That, that's exactly right. And, and so one last advantage I'll talk about, we, I had a lot of bales in my garden, and they did well, and most of them kept their integrity pretty well. And so I ordered some garlic, and you know, the crops are gone. The bales were just standing out there. The bales are now nicely worked in. It was very easy to slip those garlic bulbs mm -hmm. into the bales. And uh, this is in late fall. And now if I look out into my garden, I've got these beautiful... Um, greens from the different garlics growing in the bales and I'll let them go over the winter and uh, they'll pop up in the spring and I'll be able to start harvesting some nice uh, clean um, garlic uh, bulbs out of there and think about potatoes think about carrots that really struggle with um, that wonderful red clay soil that we're blessed with down here with all of the rocks and the pieces <laughs> bales are a nice loose environment for something like a carrot or potato to grow in because they're not impeded by the heavy clay or the rock. So, uh, you know, straw bales may just be the answer 
for those who love carrots, potatoes, beets, but they find that the ground down here has been too hard and rocky to succeed. So just another way to maybe use straw bales as a way to bring different crops into the garden that have been constrained previously, but that but we may love, and this may give us a chance to, to try them out finally. Did you have any trouble with your potatoes picking up kind of an off odor from the decomposition? Um, I did not, but my potatoes were not a great success, and the reason is the side of my house where I have the bales with the non-tomato pepper eggplant are in, a, are in an area of the garden that's been growing uh, less and less successfully each year because the trees around the garden are getting taller mm-hmm. and taller. So what I ended up with is several of my bales um, failed because I just didn't have enough direct sun to succeed. And uh, unfortunately, I put the bales for the potatoes at the back of the garden where they probably were only getting three or four hours of direct sun a day, and it mm-hmm. just simply wasn't enough for me. Now, the potatoes that I did produce were absolutely fine, so that's something that I did not notice, but it's worth um, mentioning just in case people do. Did, did you ever kind of get to the bottom of that? or if you Yeah, have well, I never that? figured out quite why. Um, I noticed that it was much worse in a bale of hay than it was in the straw, so I think that, that part of that is, it, well, it's in the decomposition someplace, but I don't know where in that cycle. And maybe in a fresher straw bale, it would have worked better. But I used an older straw bale because I wanted to plant them deep down, you know, fairly far down yeah. into the into the bale, and so that they could, you know, produce on the way up as the stems grew. And that may have been the problem. Yeah. Um, it's, it's Again, the experiment. No. We just yeah. Thanks doing for it. raising that. I will say that my greatest success last year was we. You know, we our dwarf tomato project had 36 releases out by the time I started my garden last year, and and the great news flash there is we now have another 24. So we have wow. now put 60 new varieties into seed catalogs as of a few weeks ago. So that that's going gangbusters. But what I wanted to do as a demo garden to test out not only straw bales as a growing medium, but how all of these 36 new dwarfs compared was I lined the edge of my driveway with bales and I put two dwarf plants in each one and I was just absolutely blown away by the yield, the health, and the quality of those dwarf tomatoes and that they were the best, they were amongst the absolute best flavored tomatoes of my garden last year. And the yields, um, well, you think you're, it's like growing a plant in a 20-gallon pot when you have mm-hmm. two per bale. So it's not surprising that they would succeed. And I just put a, um, a six-foot stake behind the bale, and so, you know, you're off the ground about two feet anyway with the plant, and so when those dwarfs got to the four-foot mark, they were at the top of the six-foot stake, meaning I was eye-level, up close and personal with those plants all summer long and got to really observe them and take good pictures. So... Uh, and I've, I had equal success with peppers and eggplant last year where the yields were just un, unbelievable. They love hot roots. In a bale, you certainly do have hot roots because you're above the ground, the sun is shining on them, and just the tomato, pepper, eggplant family as a whole seems to really, really thrive when grown in straw bales and containers, uh, which, which is great news because it brings garden 
it brings growing needs to to many 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 more people around the around the country sure craig we're going to have to get you back and talk more about the dwarf tomato project we're about out of time right now but how can people get hold of you if they have questions Good. So email is easy, nctomatoman, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, I, my daughter, Sarah, helped me redesign a brand-new website, so that is simply my name. It's www.craiglehulier, all one word, C-R-A-I-G-L-E-H-O-U-L-L-I-E-R.com. It's, uh, that's where I'm going to be doing my blogging and capturing information from projects and tracking all of my events that I'll be uh, speaking at throughout the year. And those probably are the two best ways. Um, people can get links to any way they want. Um, I am on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, and you can get the buttons to those from my website as well. But uh, it's just exciting to be able to share this adventure with you, Daryl, and uh, see our gardening friendship develop over the years. I really appreciate it. Well, that, that's great. I knew you were going to be doing something fantastic in the garden 20 years ago when I first met you on CopyServe. <laughs> so it's, yes. it's been a lot of fun watching all of this develop. And, of course, I will put the information, your website, your name, in case somebody didn't have a, a pencil to write it down. I'll be putting it all on our Facebook page, which is simply America's Homegrown Veggies. And that is all the time we have today i'm sorry we just, we're running out of time but let's get you back in in a little bit and talk some more gardening and we will be back Darryl. with more america's homegrown veggie show next week i hope you'll join us this is america's the best in chat radio designed just for you